Yeah, I'm excited about that camping trip. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, it's crazy. We started with like 40 sites down to eight, and so 42, excuse me. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited about that. It should be a lot of fun. If you've never been to Red Top Camping, it feels like you're further away from reality, from uh, from the world that we live in than you actually are, right? But it's a beautiful, beautiful spot, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, yes, I will plan to have my boat there. Somebody wants to go fishing, if that can be like an additional to get you to go, and so it'll be a lot of fun. If you have a boat, plan, plan to bring it. We'll have a little little fishing tournament. I'm just saying, all right. So all right. Um, well, I am excited that you're here. Sorry, this is a little low on me. Uh, I can't get back up in the strong enough. Uh, but we are, um, we're in our second week where I'm talking about this idea of the wall. Uh, we talked about t- last week, and just kind of catch you up. We talked about this critical journey, what we call the journey of faith, right? The idea that we're on this journey that God has us on. And so in the context of this critical journey that we live with Jesus All believers have this step that God brings us to that we call the inward journey and where we face the wall. An inward journey where we face the wall. And so for each of us, like the wall, like, and the wall has lots of different analogies that we use. We're going to name it this morning as a storm, right? But the wall, these places, I mean, we're going through a life and God brings us to this place of, of maturity, this place of growth where he brings us, quote unquote, into a difficult or allows us to kind of step into a difficult season saying, hey, I want to deal with some things in your life. I want to deal with some insecurities, some broken places, some things from your past, some things I'm preparing you for for your future, right? We looked at Jesus, and we talked about his, um, his just journey into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, being led by God's Spirit there to, to be tempted by the enemy, right? Again, it was just all about the preparation you had for ministry. We, we named the reality of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just kind of facing this wall before he was going to the cross. And so we said that God will take us and bring us to these moments in our faith journey, where we face the wall. We face this place where this work of preparation, God allowing some things to die so we can come to new life. And so I do encourage you to listen to that podcast. I apologize. I had a lot of you ask me about it. It didn't go up until Friday. I've already, I I looked at it today to make sure it was up. We've already had 46 people listen to it since Friday. So I do encourage, so that must have not been that bad. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. I really do, to be honest with you, I think it was one of the most maybe important messages I've ever spoken at Vintage, especially in the context of where people are in this season. And uh, so just vintage242.com, and you can just go there, look under resources, and find it. Or you can go to iTunes, whatever, it's have a podcast going on there. So this morning, we're going to take a next step into the idea of the wall. And uh, this idea that when we face the wall, when I, be- I believe when we come to the f- this place of facing the wall, it always, it's always a time of facing fear in some form or fashion, right? It could be the fear, the fear of failure. It could be the fear of our past. It could be the fear of our future. It could be the fear of, of the loss of control in the context of our life. Like the idea is that we face fear in a very, very personal way, that how I face it may be different than the way that you face it, and how you handle those moments may be different than the way that we handle it, but we all have our own unique journey in the context of a wall of how we come face-to-face with fear in our life. This morning, we're going to be looking at it as expressed in two different stories from Matthew chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can pull those out. If you not, you can just follow on the screen. And in the context of these two stories, you see in one where the disciples uh, have an expression of faith, 
in the context of fear of the storm that's going to be in front of them, right? And then we see the expression of faith in the context of fear of the centurion whose servant is suffering. In both of these, what we're going to see is that faith, faith is always something we express in the context of experiencing some level of fear. And so with that in mind, you can follow along. I'm going to be reading first the story of the disciples and then the centurion. So looking at Matthew 8, 23 through 27, and then we'll go to 8 through 15. It says, Then he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now to verse 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. The Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great So in both of these stories, we see a representation of a wall, something that they are facing in the moment. For the the disciples, there was a powerful storm, right? I don't know if you know, but the Sea of Galilee, how many of you have ever been on Lake Lake Lanier? Have ever heard of Lake Lanier, right? So Lake Sea of Galilee is literally about the exact same size as Lake Lanier. The biggest difference, Lake Lanier's got lots of islands in it and stuff, but if you just took Lanier, took all the land, just made it one big circle, be about the same size as the Sea of Galilee. And so when this moment when storms roll in, the winds begin to blow, it's not uncommon for waves to build to six or seven or eight feet. I don't know if you've ever been on Lake Lanier when you have waves six, seven or eight feet. I have, right? And in those moments, it is a scary moment, right? It is literally a scary moment. You're saying, oh my gosh, I could die in 1991, right before we moved to the lake after my senior year of high school. uh, There was a huge tournament and seven boats, we're talking like very nice, large fiberglass boats, seven boats, caps sized in that fishing tournament and and literally the people had to be saved from the waters of Lake Lanier. My point is this, when you see these men, Peter, James, and John, who are professional fishermen who have lived their life on a boat in the same way that I have, but probably at a much grander level, every single one of them were afraid in the moment because they understood, right? They understood, they understood what could happen in the power of the waves producing, excuse me, the winds producing these waves, and it literally could capsize their boat and cost them their life. So in this moment, they are truly facing the fear of the reality of what's in front of them. And you see the centurion, right? And here's the deal. We don't know much about him. We don't really know much about the story, something about the relationship of exactly who this servant is. But one thing that we know, and we can assume, is the servant was very important to the man. And the fear of losing his servant, motivated him to action. 
Like you can you can understand. Like if you woke up tomorrow and someone who maybe not in your family, but someone incredibly important in your life all of a sudden woke up paralyzed and terrific pain, you would have an emotional response, some level of fear in the moment. And the fear is something like, oh my gosh, what if this never goes away? What if they are like this forever? I hurt for them. I hurt for our relationship. This is overwhelming. There is this fear in the moment of like, what if something never changes? And so in both of these experiences, we see see specifically two different people, two different stories where people are coming up to their own moment of a wall. They're coming, they're just kind of going through life and they hit something, a fear, producing fear in their life, and they have to respond. They have to respond. And I would say for us this morning, I, I wonder if when we hit the wall last week, I said, how many of you would say this is where you are? And like half the room raised your hand. Like I wonder if you're able to get into the moment and name the fear, that thing that you're wrestling with, the insecurity, the broken place that you're wrestling with in the moment that makes the wall so difficult. And so we see that in both of these stories. Each of them had a moment of crisis, right? They each had a wall they had to face. Both of them had something going on. And from both of them, we can learn about the wall. And we learn from both their right actions and their wrong actions, right? We were talking a lot yesterday morning at the men's breakfast, and I was like, man, there are things in my life that I've learned that people have done the right way, and I've also learned from people who've done things the wrong way to never do that, right? And so this morning we find something like that in the context of both of these stories. We can learn about the wall. So the first thing that we see, and again, none of these things are absolute rocket science. Don't worry, you'll understand them and get them. But the first one is this, walls require turning to Jesus, right? Right? So when we talk about coming to that moment of our life where there's this crisis, where there's this wall we're hitting, where there's this difficulty, where fear has arisen, the first thing that we see from these stories is that when we come in the journey to those moments of the wall, we have to turn to Jesus. In both of these stories, the reaction to their hardship, the reaction to their wall is to look towards Jesus to save them. That's something that we learn. It's good. It's right. It is most powerful to turn to him. Here's the point I want you to hear. Salvation of every kind, salvation of every kind in life is found in Jesus. You don't just need Jesus to save you from hell. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus to save me from my fear. I need Jesus to save me from the power of sin every day and the temptations that I face. I need Jesus to save me from my selfishness. I need Jesus to save me in the context of my of a depression that I may face or my, my feelings of rejection or my feelings of not measuring. I need Jesus to move because I can't save myself from anything the world throws at me. I can read all the self-help books that I want, and I'll read them and say, now, Jesus, that's your job. Help me figure out where to submit to you and help you in this, right? But ultimately, it's only Jesus' job to save. I simply co-labor and partner with him in it. And that, my friends, is a beautiful and powerful reality that we all need to dive into. Because as a human being in a culture that focuses on self, we think that we can control. We love self control. We like to have control of things. And so in that, we think we then have the ability to save us or to save others, and we don't. Right? Walls require turning to Jesus. I don't 
think I need to be turning to the mirror and say, Steve, help me. Right? That's not going to help. But that's how we live. And so in this, we see them turning to Jesus. And so in these moments, right, Jesus is the one who saves us. And we have to be aware of what we have to be aware of what we turn to in these moments. Like where where do you look for some sort of relief or some sort of peace in the context of the walls that you face? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to? In our culture, people have so many places to turn. I'm going to put it into some cultural language real quick. You're going to go, what is he even talking about? But I would say this, Jesus has to be our dopamine drop. If you like me, when you talk about the chemical that everyone's aware of in our culture, this idea of dopamine, right? It's the chemical in our brain that brings about pleasure. So when a drug addict starts doing drugs, the thing that they enjoy with the drugs, it's the dopamine drop, the chemical that it causes to drop into their brain to experience some form of great pleasure. Then was ever done ecstasy in the day. That's what it does. It creates this moment feeling of ecstasy because of this massive dopamine drop into the brain. And also, Life is so great, right? It really it isn't. But that's what you're experiencing in the moment. But here's the interesting thing about this, right? The, when we hit the walls, we start looking for something to satisfy and bring pleasure. Like what we're actually looking for is a dopamine drop in our brain. That's why we hold our cell phones all day long. I don't know if you know this, but literally your phone has, the, has more addictive powers to it than heroin or cocaine. It's interesting. So I'm not sitting here throwing stones at phones, right? I'm just saying that's what it does. That's why you pick it up. Like why in the morning you're like, oh, and you just grab your phone. Why do you do that? Because you've been conditioned, quote unquote, as an addict, sorry, to pick up something that causes a dopamine, dopamine drop to bring you pleasure in life. Why do you think men and women go look at pornography? Because it creates a dopamine drop. Why do we want to have sex? It creates a dopamine drop. Why do you want to all of a sudden start watching television? Because it creates a dopamine drop. All, all I'm getting at is there's all sorts of things that you turn to, right? Like we can get here and theologize around stuff all day long in the Bible and the scripture and stuff. I'm bringing it down to earthly level saying there's something that happens for you when you start getting the pain in the back of the neck and you're gritting your teeth and you're looking for a dopamine drop. And the disciples here say you have to turn to Jesus in the light of everything else you could turn to. That's the only thing. That brings you through the wall. Right? And so why do we talk about this? Because the reality is, all of those other things, if you just give yourself to them, will bring about death. Because they can't take you through the wall. And I speak this with great kindness and compassion and love and understanding because when I wake up every morning and I've studied all, I've studied all the stuff, I'm like, don't pick up the phone. Don't pick up the phone. Don't pick up the phone, Steve. Just in, or if I pick it up, I'm like, just go look at the weather, right? Don't look at social media. Don't see it. Just look at the weather. God, I'm looking at the weather. Open my Bible app, Jesus, right? Just kind of trying to tell the Lord what I'm doing with it, right? But you know what I'm getting at? There's like this whole piece. I get it. We do that. And so where do we turn? Walls require turning to Jesus. Why? Walls require turning to Jesus, and so we have to be super aware of what we're turning to. Number two, walls require faith in Jesus. 
Walls require faith in Jesus. You're like, this isn't super hard to understand. I know it's not, right? That's the nature of it. Things aren't as hard as you make them out to be sometimes. In both of these stories, we see some level of faith being exercised, right? Faith is... Faith is really, really important. It's talked about and, and talked about, you know, biblical and theological terms all the time in Scripture. It's super important. We're told in Hebrews eleven six that without faith you can't please God. We're told in Ephesians two eight that it's by grace through faith that human beings are saved, right? Not by our actions. And we see here that Jesus honestly was taken aback or he was pleased because he was aware of the amounts and the level of faith that was being exhibited in a moment, right? I always find it fascinating to, to figure out how many times Jesus talks about a person's faith in the context of their life and the context of his relationship with them. I always find it fascinating when he does that, right? And, and faith, because the idea is that faith is vital. Faith is vital. If you look at the word faith, like it's this Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, right? And it has a lot, huge meaning, but I want you to see it this morning, that's on the screen. I just want you to see it in the context of our culture. This is a deep personal trust of someone. Like I could say so many other things about it, right? You could spend literally all, like the next six months talking about faith and what happens. But I mean, but when you talk about this in simple language, it's deep. Like we use believe in our culture to talk about mental assent to something, right? And that's not what we're talking about here. It's not just a mental assent to something. No, it's a personal conviction and a personal trust in someone. Like you know what it's like. You know the person that when you meet them, you won't share your deep personal intimate stuff with them because you don't personally trust them with it and then you know the people that you do and you have all of your walls down you have all of your expectations up of them because you know that you can personally trust them with the thing that you're talking about when all of your walls are down and when we talk about having faith in Jesus that's what we're talking about this personal trust in Jesus, with all of our walls down, knowing that we can say anything and do anything, and that he is a good father who, whether we feel like he is or not, is moving us towards victory in life. The picture I grew up with, and some of you may have grown up with the same picture. This is not a prop. I'm just thirsty. Um, so <laughs> when, when I was a kid, man, growing up, I was a kid, I, I remember like uh, this pastor, and you know how pastors like have stories? I might have them, I have them too. They just say they tell the same story like once every other year because it's such a great story. They know they can't use it every week, so they use it like every other year. And so this one pastor, he like, this was one of his favorite stories. He'd talk about the nature of faith, and he would describe it this way. He's like, and, I, and y'all may know the story better, and you might have names and stuff. I don't. I just remember the story. I was too young to remember names. But he goes, yeah, he said, it's this whole story. Like there's this tightrope walker. He literally set up this wire to cross over Niagara Falls, right, in this crowded come to to watch him and to and they were all excited and super excited and this is awesome Kately came to our town right we've heard all these incredible stories about these places that he's walked right so they're putting it out and all of a sudden the crowd begins there's the lights going and probably music and stuff and everyone everyone's coming right and so all of a sudden he walks out there's like yeah there he is a tightrope walker Woo! right and so they're sitting there doing their thing and he starts kind of building the crowd how many of you are excited today about the tightrope walk across Niagara Falls how many of you believe I can do it? Yeah, 
believe how many of you have heard the stories of I walked over here in this ravine and this little place over here? Like, yeah, we've heard. How many think today I'm going to be successful, be able to cross that, that Niagara Falls? Yeah. He's like, fantastic. I have a wheelbarrow here. I'm going to push across. I can't wait to push. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. All right. With all this level of excitement and trust today, who wants to get in with me? Let me push them across. Crickets. All right? Crickets in the moment. All of a sudden, this little girl in the crowd comes running out and says, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll do it. Everyone's like, oh, my God. All right? And she just runs up, jumps straight into that wheel and says, let's go, Dad. Right? You see, there's something so powerful in that, isn't there? Like, there are these people over here, they have a level of faith that's connected to belief. Right here, right? We think you can do it. We know that you can. Like, we've heard the stories. This is going to be so good. But all of a sudden, then, when you get put into the story, when it requires you to exercise that, right? You're like, I'm not sure I can get into the wheelbarrow. You see, that's why it requires, walls require faith in Jesus. This personal trust that, man, I'll hop in any wheelbarrow Jesus asked me to get into. Say, push me, Dad. Let's go. Right? And so in this, like Jesus comes, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who let me just push them in wheelbarrows across Niagara Falls and trust. Believe a personal trust. Not just a belief with my mind, right? So walls require us turning and having this level of personal trust in Jesus. And I look at it this way, and I made this chart up, and so you can like it or dislike it. If you don't like it, just throw it out, right? You can make up your own. So it's on the screen. So, and I see kind of stages of faith. These are very, very basic, okay? Very basic. I, you could break it down much further. But stage one is fearful without any faith, right? Fearful without any faith. And we see these, listen, we don't see these types of people in the stories here, but we know they exist, right? Those people literally, like everything is always terrible. The sky is always falling, right? They're, they're crippled by internal and outward struggles, right? Their life is only defined by survival because like, oh my gosh, it's just me against the world and there's just no hope, right? This is like those who, just like fearful without any faith. People just are crippled. Crippled by fear. Then you have, and this is the second stage, which is probably the biggest. Fearful with some faith, right? Fearful with some faith. So let me just say this, because most of, a lot of us are maybe in this camp. And let me just say this. I look at, this is like, so this morning, hear me, there's no condemnation for you. Some of people in here are exercising a higher level of faith than somebody else. And guess what? Jesus loves you equally. Right. There's no condemnation. The beautiful piece, Jesus says, hey, I'm just glad you're on the faith boat somewhere. Right. We can get you we can grow you as long as you're in the faith boat. OK, so I want you to say, if you're in the faith boat at all and you have a level of faith in the context of your fear, fear and faith. Right. Hey, let's just celebrate that you're somewhere on the journey and that God is going to grow you in the, in the context of your faith. OK, so if you're in the boat at all, yay! right, it's going to be good. OK, so. Fearful with some faith. This is like the disciples in the story. Like the storm arises, fear grabs hold of them, and they factually know Jesus can save them. So they reach out, but they are doing it from a place of defeat rather than a place of confidence. The idea, they cried out to Jesus because they had no other hope and were surprised to some degree that it worked. Right? 
Verse 27, the men were amazed. Well, we didn't really expect this. We went to Jesus, but we didn't expect anything, really. Right? We're like, Jesus. Like, they were, like, they probably looked like, knowing Peter, he's like, guys, I got this. Professional boat guy. I'll be honest, if you're in a boat with me, I'd be, I'd be the Peter, right? I'm like, I got this, guys, right? My daughter is hilarious. We were riding, literally, we'll be, like, on Lake Eufaula, specifically on South Alabama, right? We're literally in my, don't tell Randall this, but we're like my 21-foot boat, right? And we're, like, piercing waves, right? Like, we're piercing waves. We're, we're, like, literally going through them at 65 miles per hour. It's not very bright, right? And my, and, and my, my Landon over here, who's not my son, but AK's partner, he's like this, white gripping it. And AK's just like, what's up? This is awesome, right? She like thinks it's, she literally thinks it's like a, a ride at Six Flags. And I'm sitting there going, this is great. Jesus, help us, right? I'm loving it, actually. But I mean, it's the difference here, right? They're like, they're both in the faith boat, literally with me, piercing waves at 65 miles per hour, six foot waves, right? Trying to figure our way through them. And there's a different level of faith in it. But they're both there. Right? And that's what the disciples are experiencing, man. They were amazed. Like, I can't believe this actually happened. And this is like the person on kind of a a ground level who never thinks about God, right? Never thinks about God, but when nothing else works and against even their better judgment, they cry out to God, to a God they don't even think exists. Right? There's a level in that. It's a level of faith. We should probably give the disciples more credit than that last phrase, but don't miss Jesus' response to them as it leans in this direction. He says, you have little faith. I always wonder. Like, you know how, like, Randall always tells me my nonverbals are awesome? And, um, like, when I talk to her, I'm like, right? She's like, you're being angry. I'm like, not angry. I'm just not saying much, right? With a bad look on my face. I wonder what Jesus' face looked like. I wonder what his nonverbals were communicating, right? Like, what were the nonverbals communicating? You know what I'm talking about, husbands and wives, right? You know, you get that face your husband gets, right? Now, what are the nonverbals of Jesus here? Is it like, oh, my gosh, you of little faith, like saying you idiots, right? Or is it like, you of little faith? Or was it like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, you of little faith, y'all are crazy. I have no idea what the nonverbals are here, I really don't, right? I can't find it in the Greek anywhere, I apologize. But I do wonder, I do wonder what's going on here. Like, what does it mean? But all that to say, like, there's a level of, of this where Jesus is saying, guys, faith is important. It's required here. It's a personal trust. And it's showing that there's a lack of personal trust. And, and what we find, guys, is here's the beautiful piece. Remember, it's a journey. So if you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm more like the disciples, well, Look at the disciples like in the first part of Acts. Just a few years later, guess what? They're killing it. They're killing the faith boat, y'all. I mean, they are absolutely killing it. It was a process of growth from going from where they, where they are here to a better place, right? So fear, right? It's a beautiful piece. So we have to go dive into this idea of faith, right? Um, and then stage three, faithful with some fear. Faith, faithful with some fear. Here's the point. You're never going to be able to express faith unless you're experiencing first a level of fear, right? It's like fear and faith are always going to be connected to one another. You're going through life, a wall is automatically in your flesh going to create an, like a, a sense and an urgency of like, oh, I should fear, right? Because fear is a gift to point us to Jesus. Fear is a gift. It's like 
Fear is a gift if you immediately use it to exercise faith to jump into Jesus' wheelbarrow. Then how, do you conquer, how do you get the enemy to stop bringing fear at you? Well, every time he brings it, just jump into the wheelbarrow with Jesus, and he'll stop bringing fear because, like, it doesn't work. Whenever I bring fear, it just jumps into the wheelbarrow with Jesus. He goes right to Jesus. Now, I don't want to be near Jesus, right? The only way to express faith is in the face of, in the face of some sort of fear. And so in this, right, a, a person may have faith, but you only know how mature their faith is in the face of the fear that they're facing in lives. And so in this, right, there's faith, a little bit of fear. We see that really in the centurion in the context of how he was living his life. So the wall that we face in life, it challenges our faith. Those moments of coming to the wall, it exposes how mature our faith is in the moment. The enemy is going to beat you up and tell you how terrible you are in faith. So don't listen to him. He's going, no, no, I'm in the faith boat. i got room to grow. If I just always tell the enemy, I know I'm not great, Jesus is great in me, and I'm growing with him, then he'll stop leaving you alone, right? So in this, it's like, man, we got some room to grow, got some room to mature. But faith, it is the very thing that God, listen, the very thing that God's trying to raise up and mature us when we come to the wall is, is the context of our faith. He's trying to strengthen that in this season. And the idea is, will we lean into him? Will we get into the wheelbarrow and we follow, we follow him through our hardships? The disciples learned a valuable lesson at their wall. Their faith wasn't non-existent. It wasn't non-existent and that was good. But it also wasn't strong. That was a growth area. Whereas the Gentile centurion who had spent less time with Jesus, he was strong in his faith. For some reason, somehow he had a deeper knowledge, understanding of who Jesus was, right? In a true deep level, walls show us our growth areas or they show us our areas of strength, right? And the third thing is that walls require knowing Jesus in advance. Walls require knowing Jesus in advance, right? So when I, like in all marriages, you know, and like every relationship, you have difficult moments. Like when I hit a, a difficult moment with Randall, right, when we hit a difficult moment in the context of our marriage, what do I lean on? Like all of us, I'm leaning on my history of knowing Randall and of relating to Randall. That history has built this strong foundation of love, a strong foundation of commitment, and created a fortitude, right? ability to press through, right? And it was birthed in the context of our relationship before we hit the difficult moment, right? Every relationship hits a wall, and if you don't have a deep foundation to stand on, you might not make it. The time to work on your marriage is not when everything hits the fan, it's well before, so when everything hits the fan, we can make it through, and so that's what we see, that's we're seeing these stories. Therefore, we don't wait for hardships to come before we build our relationship with Jesus. No, you prepare for a wall by getting to know Jesus intimately and personally now. So when those times come, you have a foundation to stand on. Here in these stories, we don't know how, but the centurion had a knowledge and understanding of Jesus that was unique and powerful. Like, we don't know the history, we don't know the story, but there was something going on in the centurion. There was something of knowledge, like a deep personal trust, a jumping into the wheelbarrow that, that the centurion knew. And I wish I could sit there and break it down and say, well, his actually name was John. He was from Tarsus. I, have, I can't do that for you. I have no idea, right? But here's this, here's this guy who was a Gentile 
in the army with all these Jewish servants, according to Luke, right? And he's sitting here doing life. And in the context of his life as a God-fearing Gentile man, had an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus and about his authority, that he was able to identify himself as a man of authority with Jesus, who was a man who had authority. And so when his Favorite servant, we'll just call him the favorite servant, gets sick in the moment. The centurion doesn't go, oh my gosh. Ah. He's like, just go find the man Jesus. He doesn't have to come to our house because he can do it from afar. That's how powerful he is because I know it. Right? Whereas the poor little disciples, God love them. Kind of more like, I feel like I feel like a disciple, to be honest with you, most of the time. Like, I've been spending all sorts of time with Jesus, but I just, this knowledge, I just haven't given myself to, to diving into and allowing God's truth of who he is and his power and his authority to be awakened inside of me. I still think I have the authority and the power in how I live my life. Like, I'm not just saying this because it's good preaching. I literally, I struggle with that. I struggle with, like, like I'm a guy... I mean, Randall and I talk all the time. Like, we have to, we struggle because we're both people. If we make something happen, well, by God, we'll make it happen. We will. That's just our personalities, right? Randall was in pharmaceutical sales, and I mean, she had this phrase, I forget what it was, it was something like, I can buy and sell you all day long, right? Whoever it was, right, coming against her, right? She just had a real high view of self. I have a high view of her, right? A long time, a long time ago, right? <laughs> She's so redeemed now, y'all. But we struggle with that. The disciples, right? Peter, James, and John probably in that boat saying, no, let's just do this, guys. We've been here before. And they reach that moment. Just kidding. Help me. <laughs> right? There's this knowledge of Jesus the centurion had. He said, you don't have to come to my house. You can just say the word, Jesus. And it is done. It is done. They're basically saying, I know who you are. I know who you are. Hmm. I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you can do. Like, I guarantee you, everybody else is going, what's he talking about? What is he? What's he talking about? But Jesus, he and Jesus had that moment, right? They knew, right? So walls are coming, or they are here in your life. And the question, we're at the very end, how will you respond? Or how are you responding in the moment, right? So what I want to invite you to simply do this week, and I want you to hear this, literally, give me, give me like three minutes just to focus on the end because i got some questions for you, right? I want you to take inventory this week to do a self-evaluation, right? Take a self-inventory and do a self-evaluation. Here are three questions to help you evaluate yourself this week in the context. And you're, uh, you're doing a self-evaluation in, with Jesus in the room with you, kind of helping lead. So really it's a self-evaluation asking Jesus what he thinks, okay? So here we go. Here are the three questions. Put them up for me, Daniel. Here we go. When walls come, how quickly do you turn to Jesus or do you turn to him at all? Right? So have, be honest with, like, when walls come, how quickly do you turn to Jesus? That was point number one, right? Or do you turn to him at all? And so that requires you then looking like, well, what actually happens? Like, so this week, when a difficulty arises, you get the tension in the neck. What do you turn to? Right? What do you turn to? Where do you look for that dopamine drop to bring pleasure to your life so you feel satisfied? 
Number two, what level of faith do you exercise? Fear without faith, fear with a little bit of faith, or faith a little bit of fear? What level of faith do you exercise? Again, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Like, are you jumping straight in the wheelbarrow or are you not, right? Again, it's just all we're doing here in the evaluation piece is just letting yourself be honest. Every single one of us, we have this little lawyer that we let come out and defend us all the time against things that maybe we need to grow in. Well, I'm really not that bad. Well, I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler, right? Well, look at him next door. I mean, look what he did. Whatever it may be, right? Just kill the little lawyer in the back of your head and be honest in in your self-evaluation about your level of faith, right? Don't, super important with this, don't beat yourself up. I can say today, very confidently and proudly, man, I am terrible right now at faith, but I'm in the faith boat, and by God's grace, I'm going to get better and stronger. That's the answer. I'm not condoning where I am, saying, hey, it's okay. I'm going to stay here forever. No, it's okay where I am, but I'm growing by God's grace. Right, number three, how much time are you investing into knowing Jesus? Again, not just factual knowledge, but deep, intimate knowledge. How much time are you investing in the knowing Jesus? Again, the wall requires advanced relationship. The wall requires advanced relationship. I don't just wait until everything hits the fan. Go ahead and hang out with Jesus now and go pray and go read my Bible. I mean, do you know people like that? I mean, literally, it's, it's, it's not funny, but it is. When I sit down with someone who all of a sudden their marriage is just like falling to the ground. I'm like, what'd you do this week? Well, I mean, like I listened to 15 podcasts uh, and I read my Bible for an hour uh, and I prayed the entire time I drove today, even while I was in the shower. I mean, you know, getting at like all of a sudden they do all their Jesus when the stuff hits the fan rather than preparation to build their faith in advance so they can go through it. So this is start. So just without making it rocket science. Hey, let's just choose today to invest into my relationship and make knowing Jesus more important than all the other dopamine drops that I do over here. Right? Let's do that. And it'd be good. All right, so do self-evaluation this week. Let God be honest with you. I do encourage you uh, to find someone you can talk to about these things so you can be honest and, and in community confess sins so one another so that you can be saved, right? Uh, just, again, I encourage you. It's best to have conversations with the Lord and then with other people about this so they can just come along and help you in process and your personal growth, okay? All right, is everybody good? Give me a thumbs up. Fantastic. Let's pray. So, Father, we, uh, we thank you for your presence with us again, Lord. It's, uh, it's just always so, so good to, to be with you, to know you, to be known by you. Um, Lord, we are thankful just for your grace, Lord, that you're just not a condemning God. That you're a loving Father. You don't, you don't sit in heaven and scowl at us from a distance with your arms folded. No, you just you're always you're always in it. you're always an open invitation to come. It's crazy. You're always an open invitation to come. You may not be pleased with things that are going in our life, but you always have an open invitation for us to come. So, Father, we uh, invite you to speak into these areas today. Lord, I know I didn't give a whole bunch of how tos, but it's really faith, Lord. It's it's just it's a byproduct of us getting to know you and being in relationship with you. And so I pray today that you would 
give grace, your ability to bless us. Give us the ability to know you in ways we never have. I thank you that us knowing you is a two-way street. It's our investment and your investment. So come and invest into us. Today we invite you. Help us to be honest with you. Come and have your way, Jesus.